0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. Hey, don't you love that video? I... uh... We've been showing it for the past four weeks of this sermon series, and just in hopes maybe if somebody wasn't here, they could catch it. But I love that it illustrates the power of one person and one light and what you can do to influence an entire community. Uh, Before we get started today, I want to remind you of a couple of things and maybe some ways that you can influence the community around you. Uh, You saw in uh, the Tree TV spot about Missions Sunday coming up uh, this Sunday, August 6th. And, you know, there's a lot going on that day. It's our our 36th anniversary as Tree of Life Church, which is amazing. Come on, that's awesome. Um, some of you have probably been here for all 36 of those years. Uh, my family came here in about 2002. And so, it's just really cool to be a part of a local church and grow up somewhere. Um, but we have Joe McGee that Sunday, so bring a friend, we want to encourage you to do that. If nothing else, just tell him it's a really funny guy that's going to be speaking, so you can come see that. Uh, but they're going to get a lot more than they bargained for as far as wisdom for living. Uh, but the other thing is Mission Sunday, and we want to encourage you to participate in that. And you might think, well, what is my gift going to really mean in the scope of things? But your gift could mean salvation for somebody. It could It mean the gas that takes a missionary in India to the next church that he needs to preach at, or to the next village that hasn't been reached for Jesus. It could mean another outreach in Mexico. And so, we just want to encourage you to participate in that. If you want to do some great shopping, men, for your wives, buy something at the mission store or just have some brisket. Maybe you could make a deal. I'll buy you something at the mission store if you get me brisket afterwards. But hey, there's just something special about giving to missions around the globe. And then also maybe consider bringing some of those staple food items like rice and beans and things to give to the community around us. The other thing I want to remind you of is groups, and you're going to hear a lot about groups coming up. Community groups and life groups are so important, because Jesus set all of this up to where it happens in the context of relationship. And we're all meant to be in a relationship with other people. I was at dinner with a friend the other day. We were eating hamburgers and um, just very healthy stuff, you know. and we were talking about what the Lord's been showing us, and maybe what's been tough, uh, kind of a struggle in our lives. You know, that doesn't happen when you're sitting in the chair next to somebody on a Sunday morning. It only happens in the context of community. And so we just want to encourage you to consider being a part of a life group or a community group. Um, today, uh, we are talking about this concept of catalyst, changing the world around you. And some of our pastors here on staff have been preaching for the last three weeks up till now. If you don't know me, if you've never been here, my name is Cody Jones. I'm the worship arts pastor, and my wife, Christy, is sitting down there on the front row. And uh, we've been a, i think you've been here for— four or five years now uh, here at Tree. I think it's five. And like I said, I've been here since I was about 11 years old. And so, just so thankful to be a part of this church. Um, So during this series, we've been talking about how we can reach out to the world around us. And today I want to talk to you about this concept of the accent of the kingdom. And I don't know, maybe you're somebody with a really strong accent. Maybe you're from one of those areas of Texas where a lot of my family is from. I feel like in South Texas, our accent isn't all that thick usually, but there are some areas of Texas, I'm not pointing them out, but it's like east, west, and north, I think, is all of them, besides us, uh, that have a weird accent. Maybe somebody's made fun of you for your accent before. Maybe you're from out of state. But sometimes there's just these things, it's funny. When I was a kid, uh, We moved here from San Diego to Texas. We are a military family. So I got here, and people were making fun of the way I talked. So then, about a year later, I went back to San Diego to visit, and everybody there was making fun of the way I talked. And I couldn't really win. But the thing about an accent is an accent tells you that somebody has a different place of origin than you do. They're from somewhere different. You may even be speaking the same language. And I'll never forget one time I was at a coffee shop in downtown New Braunfels. This guy walks in, and uh, he was a Hispanic guy. I thought he was. Um, he walks in with this very, very thick accent. And so he starts talking, he's asking for directions to land a Park, and he's about to leave, and I just figured I'd be helpful. So I said, uh, Estas buscando a Park. And I started speaking Spanish to him, and he, he just gave me this bizarre look. And uh, he was probably like, why do you speak Spanish, you know? Uh, and I, I just—he said, what did you say in English in this very thick accent? And I said, uh, I kind of froze, and I just said, what language do you speak? And he got so livid with me, and he said in his very thick accent, English, I'm an American. And I, I just thought— I'm glad you're an American now, but I don't think you always were. Like I think you were born somewhere else originally, you know? And I guess—I think what happened was he was Italian, and I made him really mad. If you've ever called a, an Italian a Hispanic person, they don't, they don't take very kindly to that. But I knew he was from somewhere different, because we were speaking the same language, but he had a different accent. And one time my wife was on a ministry trip in Australia. They went to Sydney, they flew into Sydney, and the people who were supposed to pick them up at the airport weren't exactly doing their job. And so, they got to the airport, and nobody was there to pick them up. And so, she asked, or they they finally called them, and they said, hey, where where did you guys go? What happened? They said, oh, we waited for you, but you never came, so we just left. Like, thank you in this foreign country for leaving me here, I greatly appreciate that. So, they said, well, here's the deal, you can just take a taxi, here's our address. So they walked outside to the taxi, and the taxi driver is in a rush because there's so many people, it's a big city. And he just starts like giving them instructions. He says, put your things in the boot and get in. And they just stood there frozen like, we don't know what the boot is. And they didn't know what to do. And he just waits for them, and then he gets mad again. He said, put your stuff in the boot. And he opens the trunk, and they're like, oh, the trunk, we get it. <laughs> But you can be speaking the same language as somebody, but your accent and your region make it a little bit different to understand them. You can tell somebody's from a different place just by listening to them speak the very same language that you speak. And so today I want to talk to you about your accent. And I believe that heaven has an accent, and I'm not talking about an actual pattern of speech, but I'm talking about something that marks our lives. That if we are connected to the, to the kingdom of God, if we're connected to Jesus, then our lives kind of just have a different feel and flavor to them than other people's do. I'm not talking about speaking in King James English. Uh, that is not the accent of God. That was the accent of the people that translated that version of the Bible. But here's what it says in our foundational scripture for the series, Matthew five thirteen through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to learn about heaven's accent, to learn about how to live our lives in this world in such a way that when people leave after having an encounter with us, whether it's in the grocery store or at work or at school, that they say there's something different about them. And whatever it is, I want my life to be like that. God, teach us from your word today. We pray, God, that uh, the Holy Spirit would just reveal things to us. I pray that it wouldn't be my thoughts and my uh, words and intentions, but it would be yours. And I pray that you would just uh, help us to learn directly from your word and directly from your spirit today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. amen. So if you uh, have T O L C app, I want to encourage you, go in there, follow along with the live notes, take some notes. That is an incredible way to remember things. Um, I always say this every chance I get. Uh, there have been times in my life where I was going through a rough time. I pulled out the notes that I took in a service, and I read those, and it walked me through. And so I just want to encourage you with that. And you can maybe even study these notes as a family uh, and all these notes from this series. But we're different as believers, and I'm not talking about different in the bad way. Like, ah, he's a little different. (laughs) That's just a nice way, that's kinda like in the South when we say, bless their heart, and then you know something really bad's about to be said. (laughs) But we're supposed to be a little bit different. And I wanna talk about in what ways we're supposed to be different today. And I just wanna encourage you with this, that as you look at these things, don't let this be like a, oh man, I need to be more like this, but let it be more of a, how can I grow in these areas? Because we all have work to do in every single one of these areas, and, you know, as believers we are supposed to be different, it's not supposed to be just that we have a fish bumper sticker on our car or a K-Love bumper sticker on our car or anything like that. Because listen, if you're rude to people in traffic, the sticker doesn't mean a thing. And so, our lives are supposed to be just a little bit different. So let's talk about this really quick. What does the accent of God's kingdom really look like? And again, you may not find this exact terminology in scripture, but I believe this is just a way of saying, what should define and mark the life of a believer so that when people see us, they know, wow, just there's something special about that person. Number one, walking in light. Walking in light defines the life of a believer. It's a mark of the accent of God's kingdom. In Ephesians 5, 7 through 14, it says, "'Don't participate in the things these people do. "'For once you were full of darkness, "'but now you have light from the Lord. "'So live as people of light, "'for this light within you produces "'only what is good and right and true.'" Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. I love that, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Ask yourself, is this gonna please God? And then ask Him, God, is this gonna please you? Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of us here in this room, and I would dare say all of us, who would say there's some things in my past that I'm ashamed of that I wouldn't really want to talk about. But God's word talks about bringing those things to light, and we'll explore that more in just a second. Their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. That's why it said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light." So, be careful to live in a way that really, truly honors God. Not doing good things to make yourself look good, but doing good things to point people to Jesus. Matthew five sixteen actually says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And I love this. As believers, we don't cover up the bad parts of our lives. We give those things to God so He can restore them and use them to lead more people to Him. And here's what's so cool. There's the parts that you're ashamed of and you don't want to bring to light. God says if you'll bring them to light, number one, I'll settle it for you. I'll take care of it. I can forgive you of anything, and I can help you learn to walk in freedom. And then number two, God actually says, I would love to turn those around, and the thing that you thought disqualified you from my grace could actually be the thing that leads many more people to my grace as you share your story with the people around you. And so really God's calling us to live in the light and live exposed. Not so that people can see how amazing we are, but so that people can say, you know what, I can see God's grace at work. Because that's not a perfect person, but that's a person that God has done so much with. That's our goal is to live in light. We aren't here to highlight our good works, but we're here to highlight a gracious God who loves people. And some people will tell you that you shouldn't do good deeds in public. Some people will tell you you shouldn't pray in public. I've heard this within the past few years. It's kind of interesting. They'll actually use what Jesus said about not praying in public and not doing certain things in public. But what happens is they're actually misunderstanding who Jesus was talking to. Because when Jesus talked about praying on your own by yourself, and when Jesus talked about um, not doing certain good deeds in public, Jesus was not talking to just your average Joe. Jesus was talking to religious leaders of the day. And these people were um, actually praying in public or giving offerings in public and making a show of it and making a scene of it so that people would acknowledge them, how awesome they were, and really praise them instead of praising God. But Matthew 5.16 is telling us that we are to do good deeds in the light in public for everybody to see, but it's not so that people will look at us, but so they'll look at God. And so, we don't attract attention to ourselves for any other reason than to say, I have this amazing gift called grace that God wants to give to you. So allow your light to shine. Live in the light. You are an ambassador, so bring God's kingdom to the earth. My dad was a Marine uh, when I was a kid. Uh, My dad was a Marine Corps drill instructor, uh, which is funny stories associated with that, uh, but we won't get into those. But one thing that they teach uh, young Marines and young people in the military, if you're uh, military or ex-military, you will remember this, is that when you leave somewhere, when you leave whatever base you're on in a foreign country, you represent the United States of America. You are, in effect, an ambassador. And to try to pound that into a 19-year-old kid's brain who just has a paycheck and like can go wherever he wants in a foreign country is probably really hard. But they're telling him, look, anything you do, good or bad, represents the United States government. Anything that we do as believers, good or bad, represents God. And our response to other people's good or bad works represents God. And our response to our own failures represents God. That when we respond to our own failures with an attitude of, "Wow, that's not that big of a deal, then that represents God. But when we respond to our own failures with an attitude of, you know what, I did mess up, but I'm just going to ask God to forgive me, and I'm going to keep moving in the right direction, then that represents something amazing about who our God is. So number two, walking in light—I mean, number one, walking in light. Number two, walking in faith. In Matthew eleven twenty two through 25, it says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too." Now that little verse at the end is really powerful, because what it tells me is that there are things in my life, like unforgiveness, or things I'm not letting go of, that can actually hinder God's power at work in me, and through me. And so I really have to be on my game as far as loving people and loving them well. Otherwise, I'm not going to see the power of God at work in the way it should. Here's the thing. As Christians, we are called to be people of bold faith. We are people of bold faith. Mark sixteen seventeen through 18, it says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In my notes, I wish I could show you, it says, explain the snake thing, LOL. Um <laughs> Some of you came today and you're like, this is a rad church, until you heard snakes and handling snakes. And you're like, that's, that's weird. I'm not about that. And that's why they're across from the snake farm and all kinds of stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. So really when you see this passage of Scripture, um, let me help explain this. Later on in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey. He's putting firewood on a fire. They had just been in a shipwreck. And uh, when he goes to put firewood in a fire, a snake had been in the fire when it started, so it jumps out to get out of the heat, bites onto his arm or his hand, latches on, he shakes it off, and he's fine." And it was a miraculous sign to the people of that area that this is somebody who walks in the supernatural power of God. It wasn't that he was trying to tame snakes or anything like that. It was, listen, there are things that should kill you, that should destroy you, but here's what we know that the power of God is so much greater and so much stronger than those things. And maybe you're facing something in your body. I just want to go out a limb and say, maybe you're facing something like cancer. Maybe you're facing something like diabetes. Maybe you're facing anything, any kind of sickness, MS, whatever it is, and that thing that should have destroyed you, I believe that God would say, He can overcome that, and you can overcome that. But here's my button on my jacket got caught in this podium. That was scary. Uh, It's just stuck for the rest of the service. Um, But here's the thing that I think is so cool about this passage of Scripture, is that Jesus doesn't say, pastors will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And Jesus doesn't say traveling ministers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And Jesus doesn't say worship leaders will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He says these signs will follow those who believe. And what's so cool is that this is not just for people who are quote-unquote in full-time ministry. If you're not in full-time ministry at the workplace and at school, then I don't know what full-time ministry is. And I just want to encourage you for a moment. You may not know this, but it's kind of hard for us to reach out to people sometimes. Because we work in a church bubble, where if we want to meet people who aren't saved, we either meet them on Sunday, or at a coffee shop, or at a kid's soccer practice, or whatever that may be. But at 9 to 5, our 9 to 5 job, our hope is that everybody who's working in the office at this church is saved, you know what I mean? So we don't have this opportunity to sit with a coworker for eight hours a day who doesn't know Jesus. But every time you punch in at work, you enter a mission field. Every time you walk into a coffee shop, there's baristas there that have never heard the gospel before, and you get the chance to share that with them. And so I just want to encourage you to realize what power is on the inside of you, that you can walk into the cereal aisle at Target or at Walmart or at HEB, and you can see somebody and God could lay it on your heart to pray for them, and they could receive their healing right there. Because it's available to every believer, every follower of Jesus. The third thing is walking in love. In John 13, verse 35, it says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Again, not if you say that you're my disciples, not if you listen to all the Christian music, but if you love one another. I would love for somebody to ask me randomly sometime, why are you so nice? I mean, I think that should be every one of our our goals is, is that somebody should ask you, why do you love people so well? What is it about you? God's kind of love is uncommon in today's world, and it really does shine bright. It's really interesting and and kind of odd to people to see people who love everybody unconditionally. Galatians 5-6 makes it very clear that our religious works aren't important, but rather faith expressing itself in love. And so, I think what we have to consider is, if everything I've learned in this room today doesn't impact how I love people when I leave this room, then what does it really matter? If I love well in the four walls of the church but I don't love well in the four walls of my home or of my workplace or of my school, or in traffic, God bless America, traffic. (laughs) New Braunfels tourist traffic. Or um, let's say when I go to to the restaurant today after church then what does it really impact? What does it really matter, what I've learned here today? Faith and signs and miracles and wonders all flow from God's love and not our natural ability. The Bible often describes Jesus as having compassion on someone and healing them. It would say he had compassion on him and he healed them. And so I believe that wherever the love of God is at, God's miraculous power follows that. Another thought I I sometimes consider is, what if the people that told my family about Jesus had been so concerned with their own self-image and not wanting to be embarrassed or seem kind of odd or different or weird that they wouldn't have told my family about Jesus? Because the question really is, do we love people enough to get over how we feel about, oh, this might be embarrassing to reach out to them? or to ask somebody in the cereal aisle at the store, can I pray for you? Because honestly, that's something that I face all the time. It's it's tough for me to get over that, that kind of bridge of, I don't know what they're gonna think if I just randomly ask them if I can pray for them, but I know I should, but how are they gonna respond? What are they gonna think of me? And I think that's a huge question to ask ourselves is do I love these people enough that I would sacrifice maybe looking cool to give them the hope that's found in Jesus. Because somebody cared about my family enough to not worry about looking cool. And can I say, they weren't a perfect person. She was probably smoking a cigarette when she told us to come to church. But she was in progress, and she wanted to take somebody with her. And the entire family dynamic of of our home shifted 20-plus years ago because one lady cared enough to get over herself and to invite us? Do we love people enough to invite them? First Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, let love be your highest goal. Your highest goal isn't to be the best at serving in church. Your highest goal isn't to do anything other than love God and love people to the best of your ability. So now you kind of know what the accent sounds like, or what kind of a mark it leaves on people. And that's great, but how do you actually then apply it to your life? So I'm going to give you three things. First three things, what is the accent like? It's walking in light, walking in faith, and walking in love. But the second three things are how you actually apply it. Number one is be a disciple. We must be a follower of Jesus if we want to speak with His accent. And the accent of the kingdom means that we do things the King's way, and that only happens when we're disciples, not just spectators. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to this crowd, He said, if any of you wants to be My follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow Me. Give up your own way. When God tells you, hey, you know what, Uh, I I think—I know you're going somewhere right now, but I think just take a moment and pray for so-and-so. They may never know you prayed for them, but just while you're driving, pray. Can we just give up our own way and allow Him to work? A friend told me the other day that he said, I I went a whole day and I just asked the Holy Spirit what He wanted me to do for most of the day, and you wouldn't believe the amount of times that I got to help people out and bless them. And you have schedules, and we all have schedules, but I love Pastor Pastor, uh, Pastor Joshua and Christina, our student ministries pastors. One thing they do that is so cool is every day they pray, God, give me one person to tell about Jesus. What if we just allowed Him to have His way? And being a disciple means that we follow God's lead at all times, and if you weren't here on the 9th of July, Pastor Rob preached an incredible sermon, and he talked about being a follower of Jesus, and I encourage you to go listen to that. But be a disciple. Be a follower. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, "'The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free.'" And some of you might know this story, some of you might not, but Jesus actually, um, He opened this scroll. It was a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before His birth. And he went to his hometown, goes into the synagogue, which would be kind of like their version of a local church, opens the scroll, reads this passage, and he says in his hometown, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your very midst. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy. And it's a powerful moving thing, but I always kind of wondered for myself, well, then could this scripture apply to me? And I was at this conference one time, it was at the AT&T Center, it was a really big conference, and uh, the band Delirious is leading worship, and there's these guys at the front, and they're worshiping really passionately, and it wasn't for show, it was just like they really were excited about Jesus. And um, the guy stops, the worship leader, and he says, hey you guys, I just want to read this over you, and he begins to read this scripture. And it clicked in my head then. This is not incredibly specific. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. If the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, then this scripture applies to you. This is every believer's calling, is to proclaim that people who are bound up by the junk of this life can be set free, to proclaim that people who are brokenhearted can be comforted, This is the mandate of every single believer on planet Earth, that we're called to bring hope to a hopeless world. You're called to bring good news, comfort, and freedom to the world around you, and you can only do it by the Holy Spirit's power. You can't have a great enough theological argument to bring that good news to people. All you can do is rely on the Holy Spirit's power, And so in Zechariah 4-6 it says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That you can't convince people that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that He loves them and that He's good, but you can operate in God's supernatural power through the way that you love them, through the way that you interact with them, through the way that you pray for them, and God can do what you could never do in your own strength. You know, the other thing there that's really powerful and really amazing is... um, when you see about, there's a, a second work that the Holy Spirit does. And so when Jesus rose again from the dead, he speaks to the disciples and the Bible says he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now there's, that's really significant because if you think about when God created Adam, he breathed life into him. And so Jesus breathes this new life into them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, the word for spirit is the word pneuma in Greek. And really it, it signifies breath. And Jesus breathes on them and He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so here's what we believe. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. But Jesus said, after that, He said, I want you to wait here in this city until the Holy Spirit comes and basically clothes you with power from on high. And the powerful thing about this is it's, you see these two separate works when you, when you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. But there's a second work called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is something that kind of freaks some people out, probably because it's been uh, miscommunicated and misconstrued and misinterpreted. But this was never something that was supposed to be exclusive to people who were alive in about 2000 AD. And this was, uh, this was also or in about, not 2000 AD, 2000 years later. This is something also that was never, ever supposed to be something that was um, spooky or weird or creepy or anything like that. But what Jesus was saying is, you're going to have this power. It's going to do two things. It's going to empower you to live your life, to go through the problems and the things in your life. But more importantly, it's going to empower you to impact the world around you. So when these believers are praying, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They literally just begin praying and speaking in all these different languages. And there were these all these people gathered in Jerusalem at the time for this big festival, and they were basically there from most of the known world at the time. And when the believers received this baptism, they begin basically speaking in each of these people's languages. And it freaks people out, and some people are like, wow, what's happening? And some people, was some jokester over there, was like, they're just drunk, it's nothing, you know? And the disciples were like, number one, it's 9 a.m., number two, have you ever heard anybody Get drunk and suddenly be able to speak French? Like, that's not a thing. You might think you can. Uh, but what happens is that day, 3,000 people receive Jesus. My question is what if we all, as believers, operated in that same kind of power? That these people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people get saved in one day, and then they take this message to the known world at the time. They say that Thomas, the one we make fun of for being a doubter, but you'd have probably doubted it too, he made it all the way to India with the gospel. And these people had this incredible power to reach out to the world around them. It wasn't spooky. It wasn't weird. It wasn't creepy. It was just something that that, that Jesus said, you're going to need this, not only for your own comfort and benefit, but to reach the world for me. What would happen if we as believers walked in that same kind of power in our job? in our school. Maybe you work a job where you drive a lot. You have a captive audience, whoever is your co-pilot. You guys can just talk about life, and you can be the light to that person. The last thing, number three, is spend time with the Lord. In Acts 4, 13 through 14, this is pretty recently after they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says, the members of the council, this religious council, were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And mind you, they did not agree with Peter and John. They did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It says, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the the Scriptures. If you look these words up in the original language, it means they were illiterate. It says they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. God isn't looking for the gifted and the talented, He's looking for the faithful followers. And God isn't looking for people who are, uh, have these amazing gifts, and people come up to us and they say things like, man, I wish I could sing, I wish I could lead people in worship, and we'd probably say things like, I wish I could do math, but I can't. So that's why God created you, because you're different than me. And God's not looking for people that are super spiritual, super gifted, super talented. You may think, I don't know enough about the Bible. Literally this Scripture is saying that these men were illiterate and they weren't well versed in the Scriptures. But they were standing up there quoting Scriptures and saying this was a prophecy about Jesus, and they were just teaching people the truth of the Gospel. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. And here's the thing, if we've been with Jesus. If we stay close to Him, spend time in His presence, if we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, then it's amazing what God can do. Because these men in this religious council, they couldn't deny what was going on. They wanted to, they were like, these guys are illiterate, they don't know anything about the Bible, they shouldn't be able to do all this stuff. But here's what we see, is there's a guy standing here that they prayed for, and he couldn't walk before, but now he can. And maybe people in your life would say, you don't really know that much about God, or maybe people would say, you don't really know enough about this or that to reach out to the world around you. Maybe you would say that about yourself, but I believe God would say, if you just spend time with me and you allow me to work through you, then people aren't going to be able to deny what's happening in your life. And people are going to come to Jesus because of you. If you spend time in His presence, you'll leave changed. The other thing is that when a spirit-filled believer walks into a room, the environment has to change because they carry the King's presence and authority. In Matthew 18, verse 18, it says that Jesus gave us the authority to bind things on earth and they be bound in heaven, and to loose things on earth and they be loosed in heaven. What that means is that if there's sickness in your body, you have the ability to say, no, that's bound in Jesus' name, and I have healing because of what He did 2,000 years ago. That means if there's strife in your home, you can come against it in the name of Jesus and say, strife and division are not going to stand in my home because a house divided against itself cannot stand. My house is built on the foundation of Jesus. You have the authority to do this because of the God that lives on the inside of you. It was time in God's presence that gave Joshua the ability to lead God's people into the promised land. It gave him the courage. If you read in chapter one, God had to tell him a million times, be strong and courageous. It's probably because he was not strong or courageous. It was time in God's presence that gave David the boldness to stand up to a giant named Goliath who was picking on God's people and who wanted to take them in as slaves. It was time in God's presence at the Garden of Gethsemane that led Jesus to go to the cross to pay the ultimate price for salvation for you and I. It was time in God's presence where these disciples had an encounter with the living God, the Holy Spirit, and it led them out to reach the known world for Jesus. The question is, what are you full of? And I love this quote from this author named Sarah Moss. She said, if you're consuming more media and popular culture than you are God's word and presence, you will reflect that which you most consume. The Lord's been checking me for months on how much I'm on this. Maybe for some of you, that's not a struggle. Maybe for you, it's TV. Maybe it's even just reading books, but you could be spending a little more time in the presence of God, and I just wanna encourage you. It's not about saying, oh, I'm so bad for doing this, but it's saying, what more do you want from my life, God? And how much more is there of this? The more time you spend with the Lord, the more you'll pick up His accent. You know this because when you were a teenager, you had that friend your mom didn't like, and you came home one day and she said, you're starting to talk like so-and-so, and I don't even like them. Or you're a mom and you have said that before. Can I get a show of hands on parents that have said that? God bless you. And then you said, oh, I sound like my mom right after you said that. If you spend time in close proximity with somebody, you begin to take on their accent. We begin to take on the accent of God's kingdom when we spend time in His presence. So we have to ask ourselves this. What does the accent of my life say about the God whom I serve? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you heard us talking about this concept. It's a cool concept that the way I live my life can impact the world around me. Fantastic messages week by week. But you would say, I just don't know where to start. I mean, I'd like to be that kind of a person, but I have no clue what that really entails. Well, let me tell you this. The starting point is a relationship with Jesus. The starting point is giving your heart to him, becoming a follower, becoming a disciple. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.